Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 109 of The Morning After. I'm Jesse Kiefer. I'm Sari Kamen. Sari, I have to congratulate you. A big, huge congratulations on your uh, your master's degree. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Sari is a graduate of, of NYU's food studies program. I'm a master. So <laughs> is your doctor in food studies coming up soon? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> is that is that something that you can actually do? Yes. You it, can? You can be a doctor in food studies? You can do a PhD in food studies. Yes. Amazing. So so what what happens now? Where do you go from here? Oh, I'm going to Europe. <laughs> That's a good answer. I'm glad you didn't say Disneyland. Uh, I am going to Paris, and I hear there is a Disneyland there. There is? I think so. Really? Potentially. I, so. I mean, I guess, you know, like Disney Europe or something yeah, like that? Yeah, one of those. <laughs> I thought it was in France. Maybe it's in Japan. Well, I, I'm going to recommend. I was just in, in Paris, and I'm going to recommend not going there. I don't There's think it's on the itinerary. <laughs> I'm actually going on a trip with NYU to Paris to study food and identity. Even though I graduated, I'm, I won't let it go. I, I forced myself on this trip. <laughs> I mean, I remember, you know, I don't have any sort of master's degree, but when I got my bachelor's degree, I really never wanted it to end. I and I'm kind of still end. doing that. By no, honestly, I mean, it's funny that you asked about the PhD because that temptation of like never leaving the world of academia is very real. I think you'd be great. You teach people how to, you know, uh, <laughs> put websites together about Jewish food. It'd be fantastic. That'd be your doctorate. Sounds good. So the website's up. The website is up, honeyandschmaltz.com. You can go and listen to all your favorite Jewish culinary figures, uh, hear their recipes, hear their stories and their own words, literally, because you can play the audio. Because it's audio, because it's radio-like. Because it's radio-like, <laughs> it's radio-esque. Um, yeah, it's up. That was my thesis, and I'm really happy with it. It's 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 pretty great. It's a lot of fun. So we have some uh, some lovely women in studio today. Uh, we have uh, Shauna Pacifico, formerly of Back 40, and she's now the chef and co-owner of a new restaurant up and coming in Crown Heights. Welcome to the show, Shauna. Thank you. And we have two lovely ladies that I was fortunate enough to meet on my trips to Greece, to northern Greece. Um, they uh, are in the winemaking region of Humanisa, which is um, very near to Thessaloniki, which is a lot of tell me, is it the second largest city in Greece? Yes, exactly. Yes, it's super metropolitan, an amazing city. And I th- believe just north is, uh, is who many said. I was on a bus and uh, in a food coma and had a lot of wine. I was probably asleep by the time I showed up. But I showed up into this beautiful, beautiful space, beautiful winery. And uh, we're going to talk to them uh, from the, uh, the Hot Savariti winery a little bit later in the show. Um, but I wanted to introduce Shauna into the show because I, um, I have been... Well, Sarah, you can back me up on this. I've certainly been very angry about the Department of Health lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've had a lot of feelings. <laughs> a lot of feelings. A lot of emotions. Which is, I think, true for anyone who works in a restaurant in New York City. Probably works in a restaurant anywhere, but I've worked in restaurants in other cities, and I've never experienced things the way I have uh, with the New York Department of Health. Um, there is, you know, just, I feel like 
I know restaurateurs, restaurant managers, chefs feel slightly victimized by, by the Department of Health. And another example of that is that now they have teamed up with Columbia University and they have put together um, a computer that has searched all of the Yelp reviews of all of these restaurants and they have looked for the words vomit, sick, and diarrhea <laughs> to try to track foodborne illness issues within restaurants. That doesn't make any sense. No. I mean, anything you, okay, anything you read in the Yelp review is like, like the farthest thing from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of people don't understand the process of when you get sick from food of how it really happens. Like a lot of times you'll get um, a phone call. I just left your restaurant three hours ago and I'm vomiting. And it's just like, it doesn't quite happen that fast. Um, that you get sick. I mean, it goes through a process. It's like, you know, eight to 10 hours after you eat something that makes you sick. So it's usually not what you ate at the restaurant. If you didn't, you know, it could take up to 12 to 24 hours. So, you know, so it's like, Oh, I just ate there earlier and I was vomiting immediately or I had to go to the And it's like, that's probably not us. Or, you know, maybe you didn't wash your own hands. I don't know. <laughs> well, and I think Yelp in some other language means exaggeration. So, um, pretty sure. That, like, also, you're like saying I'm sick. Oh, I'm so violently ill. Like they could potentially be lying. And also, I just don't really know. Yeah, how there's just could... no credibility no. whatsoever attached to a Yelp review. No. I mean, anybody could write whatever they want. There's absolutely no way of, um, you know, verifying, verifying its truthiness. Absolutely. And, and in the articles, I, I read the, uh, the New York Times version. I read, <clears throat> um, I think, Slate version. And I, and I read the, uh, the Daily News version. Talk about exaggeration, but um, <laughs> they um, they pinpointed three different restaurants uh, with with I guess like a you know a pattern of incidences, and it was because someone ate the uh, like the shrimp salad, the the lobster cannelloni, and uh, mac and cheese spring rolls, and those were the foods that they they found patterns in, and they went back to all these establishments, and you know everything was up to code. So there's really, like, feels like there's no way to... Well, how do you account for all the people who ate those foods and didn't get sick? Well, you also won't be holding on to the same shrimp that somebody ate, exactly. you know, like, two days ago, hopefully, you know, so yeah. how... I, it doesn't... You just can't account for all the va the variables and, and external factors that go into that. Absolutely, and I, I just... I, f I don't want to say witch hunt, because it's totally not... Witch. I, mean, I was just going to say that. That seems, like, really extreme. It feels like it. But I, I will say that, that when it comes to the health department, when you're giving places, like, per se, a C, and that restaurant, like, I would eat off the floor. I might eat off the bathroom floor, in <laughs> per how se. Much, how I, much does that tasting menu cost? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they, they, knock, they knock at least 100 bucks off. there. <laughs> well, exactly. And so I, 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 tr like, I truly want to say to the Department of Health... I know restaurants in New York City take shit seriously. And not all of them, and that's why the Department of Health needs to be there. However, to go on this Yelp witch hunt that is just, I mean, like, that's just pages and pages of bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes them look like a not credible organization. Well, yeah. I mean, if if legal action happens yeah. because well, of this... You can't or, use that as I mean, they're just, they're just looking for money. 
they're very disconnected. I mean, I um, uh, I recently took a trip in South America, and I took pictures of everywhere I went that held eggs outside of the refrigerator um, in restaurants and grocery stores. Eggs aren't refrigerated, mm-hmm. and I can't tell you how many times that we've gotten point points because they walked in the kitchen and I had a six pan of eggs on the on top of the counter being being ready to be used. And I'm like. There's nothing wrong with this. There's, the egg isn't going to yeah. go bad. You can leave it out here for days. You know, my grandmother in Brazil, we, we used to pick the eggs off the, you know, underneath the sink. And so, like, they're just, it's just. It feels very arbitrary. It, yeah, it's it's just completely disconnected or, or you know, giving points to somebody because uh, cheese is 50 degrees. That's and I'm exactly like, exactly what I was going to say. Do you have any idea how cheese is made? Like, it, you know, that doesn't, you know, make any sense. And they have no reference or understanding or you know their rampage about kimchi a couple of years ago and wanting to ban that and i mean they you know and like making your own charcuterie making and your own charcuterie i mean that's always sort of i mean that's i, I kind of get that too yeah. as well that's that's protein and if you make charcuterie incorrectly um you're, you could really make somebody sick and i understand that um however uh kimchi and, and sauerkraut i mean it's, it's fermented it's, it's pickled fr- it's supposed to be funky. It's supposed to be rotten. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I am surprised that millions of people in the United States don't poison themselves in their own kitchens on a daily basis. <laughs> because truly, like, if you see a roach in your kitchen, are you going to be like, oh, I will never be going back to this kitchen ever again? <laughs> I would. <laughs> I would move out that day. Come on, Sari. No, I'm just kidding. Don't be a yelper. It's still New York City. I, I would yelp about my own apartment. That's <laughs> not a restaurant. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I, I do wish, I mean, I just, I think, yeah, the laws in New York City have become so intense that, and the specifics of which the, the health department will, will come into a restaurant, and I will say, for example, the restaurant I run, Terroir Trebecca, you know, a restaurant that has been up and running with A's for, you know, four years, they all of a sudden come in and they're like, oh, well, this pipe needs to be wrapped. I'm like, well, that pipe's been there the last four A's or five A's or eight A's, whatever, that we've gotten. Oh, well, but it needs to be wrapped. So that's a fine of this much. You know, and you fix it, and they're like, okay, you still have your A. You know, but it's And you still have to pay. And you still have to pay. And and restaurants are paying thousands of dollars for every visit, and for the most part, you get two visits in a year. Yeah. If you're lucky, two visits. (laughs) You might get three. You might get four. Um, you're giving me anxiety again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not ready for this yet. I know. You're opening a new restaurant, but but you get the the new restaurants get the preliminary like kind of freebie where they you've got everything set to go and they walk through and you're not doing service or anything, correct? Yes, but I know I actually don't think that lasts for very long. I mean, I think they can pop in any time after that. There's no like I, it's n- n- we don't wait a year. It's like mm-hmm. a couple months and then, you know, so you're basically on alert the whole time. So, I mean, my goal, my true goal will be to get the Department of Health on this show one day. We'll see what happens. Let's take a break here. We're going to come back with Shauna Pacifico on the morning after.
I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're in the studio in the back of Roberta's, which is bumping today on this lovely Memorial Day brunch. We're here with Shauna Pacifico, the one and only. Hi, Shauna. Hello. Shauna is a chef. Yes. That many of you have probably <laughs> encountered at Back 40 West. And potentially heard on The Morning After. And, and potentially heard on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Uh, yeah, quite a bit. She's a fan favorite. We'll say that. It's been, it's been a little while since I've been on. Probably a couple of years for sure. Oh, okay. Well, we are very excited to have you today because you have an upcoming project that I, I feel like we have a bit of a an exclusive behind the scenes You're interview. You're kind of one of the first people I'm We are one it, of so. the first. You heard, you heard it here. <laughs> I know many, many fans of Back 40 West and Shauna have been anxiously awaiting uh, to find out what's next for her since she... Uh, left Back 40 a couple months ago and then went on in an exciting world tour, which I would love to hear about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. So, okay, I did that. So, now, so now we know for sure that sh- there is a restaurant in the works and it is going to be in Crown Heights and it is opening um, l- next month, late, late June. Very late June. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully if everything goes right, um, late June. So there's no name as of yet. Uh, yes, there's. Uh, it, it's still slightly untitled. It's sl- <laughs> I like that. Slightly untitled. Uh, That's a good name. Not related to the it's, restaurant at the Whitney. No, I, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, when, in January when I was, uh, well, in October, when I gave my notice at, back to Peter, who I'd worked for at that point eight years, um, when I gave him my notice, I had no thought that I'd be opening a restaurant uh, by the summer. I, it just wasn't even in my brain. But you um, heard our prayers. <laughs> our I was, you know, I, I originally was leaving the city. So um, that was the point of quitting. So I could spend my last six, seven months in the city enjoying it as opposed to working. Um, so that was sort of the plan. And things have changed <laughs> a lot. So um, opening restaurant Crown Heights, um, untitled, uh, only due because I feel like this project has come on so quickly and I want to get the story straight and I want to get the story correct before we really start talking about it. And so, um, you know, and it's and it's harder, you know, it's harder than I thought is to to kind of come up with the language of what our concept and our name and does it match and does it really matter or who really cares and try not to pigeonhole yourself into being one thing um, that you don't want to be. And so that's that's a lot harder 
than I thought it was going to be. So, but you know, we're um, it's small, forty five seat restaurant, um, and uh, it, it'll be open at the end of June. So, why Crown Heights? Um, well, I like I said, I had other plans, and um, an old friend of mine um, approached me. I think he read my Facebook post that I was watching House of Cards all in one day, getting drunk at home <laughs> during a snowy Saturday. And a really I, good I was, thing to do. I was wonderfully unemployed, and he literally immediately sent me a message. Was like, "We need to speak right away." So <laughs> is that like an I, intervention? Yeah, it was like I was like, "Uh oh, you're like I gotta finish the season <laughs> yeah. first." I was like, I. You don't want to talk to me now. <laughs> I'm three vodka lemonades in. Uh, but I... On that snowy nice. afternoon. <laughs> I had vodkas and lemons. <laughs> I, and I did not want to leave the house. Uh, anyways, so it, it, the Crown Heights is because he was already in uh, works of signing and, and putting a bid on a space um, that was already there. So, um, and I literally showed up at this meeting thinking, I, like, I had taken every meeting that anybody had asked because I was like I'm not going to say no I'm not going to shut any doors but I thought I was going to go in and say no thanks but no thanks um, and it turned out to be a different type of conversation so um, so he was already in the, in the works with that and once I visited the neighborhood and hung around there it reminded me a lot of what Williamsburg used to be like back in the day Bushwick is now but you know a little bit further along it's definitely up and coming um, lots of great spaces opening around there. There's lots of art spaces. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of buzz around that neighborhood. There's yeah. So that I and I and I kind of like it. It still has that super Brooklyn feel to it. But um, but there's you know there's natural gourmet stores everywhere, which I think is kind of great for the neighborhood. Um, it's also nice because it's not oversaturated. I mean, there's it's not. There's I mean, really, it, it probably will be. <laughs> I, I'm sure there will be, but it, there's room for you. Yes. You know for. You're doing a market-driven kind of, you described it as snout-to-tail concept? Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, that's definitely, you know, I've uh, learned from the best, uh, you know, Peter Hoffman in that sense of that's who I am essentially deep down as a cook. Um, but I'm, uh, as well as my partners, I'm, hire, I'm tired of hearing market-driven, farm-to-table, mm-hmm. snout-to-tail, because to me that's almost the only way I know how to cook. Mm-hmm. And so why do I have to advertise that? And, it, and that's also something I had to start doing, because when, they, when I signed on, I was like, yeah, I'll do this. It sounds like fun. I'm going to open my own restaurant as, you know, with partners. I, and then they're like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Well, I would imagine, like, cooking, I wasn't even cooking with Peter it. for, you know, the last nine years, you, you know, you've had your own identity, but, but it was their really, identity. Yes, yes absolutely. The back 40, you know, of Savoy kind of uh, trickle down. So, yeah, that must be I've wild. I struggled with, I mean, I, and not in a bad way, in a really interesting way of not realizing that that was even a part of me that I had to figure out because I thought I had that figured out. But then when I started really having to ask myself that question, like, who do I want to be as a business owner? Who do I want to be as a restaurant owner? Um, uh, what kind of food do I want? What's what's important for me to tell people? Um, and, and, you know, through my work, essentially. And, I, and, and so I think that that is still being figured out a little bit. Um, but hence why, uh, you know, I'm going to I think I want to delve a little bit into my background, which is Brazilian, South American, um, uh, sort of explore that, um, explore, you know, 
the Portuguese and Spanish influence and the African influences in South America. But it's not that I'm opening as a, a Brazilian restaurant, you know, or a South, South American, American restaurant or a Latin restaurant. But there's definitely going to be a strong influence on the menu. Um, you were just in South America. Is that I right? was. I took a, about a three week trip almost, almost three weeks. And I went to um, Lima, Peru, which was amazing. Amazing. Best food I've eaten in a long time. Really, really good. Nice. Um, so when you left for South America at that time, did you know the restaurant was in the works? Yes. Um, I basically, the trip was spurred on by the restaurant, me signing on to the project, because when I started thinking about it and, then I, and I started thinking about South America and Brazil and and all that stuff I um, one I freaked out because I was like oh shit I'm gonna be working soon <laughs> like a lot <laughs> and I really like just drinking vodka lemonades and watching House of yeah, Cards yeah no I was like this isn't doing it um, and the other thing was I wanted to explore a little bit of South America and and just kind of re you know introduce myself to what's going on down there and you know I wasn't really delving that deep because um, I was just kind of taking time off but I did eat out a lot and I was I was on my own so um, yeah, I was in Peru, Chile, uh, Argentina. I went to Uruguay for the day, and then I stopped in Brazil for a couple of days on my way back. Mm-hmm. Were there any big surprises that you discovered there that you knew Lima. that you definitely wanted to bring home? L- Lima. I mean, I, I don't know. And that's the other thing of being a, a, a farmer's market chef, you know, essentially is like, how do I interpret the flavors of South America and still hold that integrity of, like, supporting local farms because... It's like the the fruits and it, that you eat down there are just insane. And you cannot it, get them here. No, it's like I eat a mango here, and I'm like, this is good. It's not, nothing like yeah. down there. So it's like, you know, how, where's the avenue to explore and what, what to do to still hold that, um, you know. But, you know, I'm not like, sure, I can buy some pretty good frozen passion fruit, and that's great, and that'll help, but, like, that's sort of the story that I'm still trying to figure out. How do you how do you tell that story and still stay a New York restaurant? Do you feel committed to only using local ingredients? Um, I don't feel committed, but I feel. I mean, it's just sort of to me, it's what makes sense. You know, like local yeah. vegetables come locally. You know, sure, like they don't that have really to travel is a struggle, that far, and that is a challenge for you. Sure, yeah, that is, and so it's like I feel like that's why I'm like I'm still trying to figure out the story of like yeah. how how can I incorporate certain flavors or is it a is it a style is it a feel as well as opposed to just um, an ingredient um, because even trying to procure certain specialty ingredients from South America it's going to lose its integrity by the time it gets here anyway. So, like, what's the point? Um, unless you can find something that's really brought over well and treated well and, you know, not bought um, by, you know, you know, for cheap prices just because that's what you can do. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's a struggle. And then sometimes I'm like, are you overthinking this? <laughs> Probably, <Yeah>. but also <laughs> that's a good thing. I mean, you care and it's, it's the first time you're putting yeah. the, your complete name with your concept and your idea. Um, so you did. You just did a dinner at City Grit. Yes. And um, did you showcase anything that you're kind of working on for uh, for the restaurant? Yeah. Um, all the dishes because the City Grit dinner was so close to the opening. Um, I or you know I had just written up a menu and so we got to uh, you know me and my sous chef really got to work on some dishes there and kind of try it out. Um, I would say out of the five, four I thought came out really great, um, and we'll be making it on the menu. And those were definitely more of a the South American feel to them as well. 
Can you like, share what yeah, those like were? Um, yeah. So, well, we started with a yucca fritter. Um, yeah, it was a yucca fritter with some braised pork shank and an ahi, a yellow ahi uh, aioli. Then we had um, a ceviche, just local bass ceviche, pretty straightforward, where I served the the liquid on the side for people to drink as a shot. Because mm-hmm. everywhere I went in Peru, they would just order uh, leche de tigre as a shot and would just drink it. And I was like, I thought I only did that in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, which is supposed to be like a hangover cure, right? Hangover cure makes you strong like bull. I don't know. <laughs> or like <laughs> what, a tiger. What? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, yeah. like a tiger. Yeah, that would make more sense. Um, but, uh, and then, yeah, and it was really good. Just pretty simple, straightforward lime juice and um, olive oil and, uh, you know, sea salt and some chilies in there in the ceviche. And then, uh, and then I did a sort of a dish that I've done before in the past, which is like, this is sort of, I like to call it a walk around the market. Essentially, it's like uh, spring goat cheese mousse, all different types of vegetables from the market, like um, asparagus, shallots, nut shallots. Spring onion, maybe. Spring onions. There we go. <laughs> I'm just trying I'm to like, like brainstorm. What's in the market? See, I can see the picture in my head. Uh, radishes. That's what I was yeah, looking for. Cool. Um, and, you know, just different things. And then I toasted some Brazil nuts, put that on top. Mm. Some spring flowers. Um, it's a really pretty dish. Uh, looks like it's pretentious, but it doesn't eat that way, essentially. But And then uh, we've, I, we finished and the savory stuff with a uh, sort of a mix between an African seafood stew and a Brazilian seafood stew. So um, I called it matata, which uh, basically I figured it's this place in Mozambique, which was Portuguese um, occupied for a very long time. And they used to uh, steam clams with uh, spinach and then top it with peanuts. Mm. Um, and so then I sort of took that and then mixed it with mukeka, which is um, uh, basically coconut milk-based f- seafood stew. And so I did a uh, piccata ramp uh, pesto on top. Oh, wow. That sounds yeah. good. Shana, is there any one ingredient that you know you are not going to use? That's so funny. I was going to say, is there any, like, whole animal that you're like not gonna use oh well i mean yeah it's different I don't, it's that's different like... yeah well yeah, like it could be an animal but just anything that you do think i want to answer well you can answer both i mean just any ingredient that you feel is so overused that you're like i'm not going down that road it's been done um no i don't i mean i don't think about food that way you know uh you know, I know that there's a lot of trendy things and not trendy things, but I don't. When I think about food, is it's food is good. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, there's certain things I don't like. Like I don't like mac and cheese, but that doesn't, you know. What? What? No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I think okay. it's like I think it's like the most like boring dish. I'm like, I've never had great mac and cheese. You could be I the mean, one to change that. <laughs> I could be. I, I love creamy, delicious pastas, but like I, you know, mac and cheese for just stumps me for some reason. However, but like. I don't think of um, ingredients in that way. They're, you know, sometimes they're, they play their part at the right moment in whatever dish, um, uh, whether it's overplayed or not, or everybody's doing that. You know, I hear people say, oh, well, Rams, you know, they used to be good or they used to be cool. And I'm like, well, but they're still really good. Still really good. They haven't changed. I mean, the, the, it's not the Rams' fault. Yeah, like, exactly. just because now everybody knows about it. So I'm not going to eat it That's because so everybody knows about it. But it's just like, they're really good. They're tasty. Yeah. I, I love Rams. I have some in my bag if you guys were wondering why I'm kind of stinky in here. That's, that's it's very hipster of you. Like, I just carry Rams around. I actually do. And I just kind of been noticing it's like getting kind of funky in here. And I'm like, oh, that's my fault. 
Well, what about Jesse? Why don't you say your, your animal? No, I mean, again? I guess I'm thinking Peru. I'm thinking like Kui. Like I know you're not going to cook guinea pig. Uh, I don't, I don't know, think actually. it's allowed to That's cook guinea pig. I don't know. Um, uh, no, well, I probably wouldn't do gamecock. Only because, I know, uh, it's a real <laughs> thing. It's not a joke. Uh, it's like a wild bird, um, uh, and I won't name the restaurant that I ate it at, but it was a very odd experience. Uh, it's supposed to be a delicacy. They, you know, it's a little tiny, it's smaller than a quail, like super tiny, mm-hmm. and they age it, they dry age it with the intestines and everything still inside. So it's like eating zupu, essentially. <laughs> What's zupu? Like, just poop like from the zoo. Oh, really? like, un- like poop. <laughs> Unclean. Tri- I'm thinking like the like U-P-U. Yeah, and you eat, like, I was just like, I can't believe this is what you're serving me. Oh, it's yeah. like, <laughs> um, but, you know, and there's people that would be like, oh, she's not, she doesn't have a sophisticated palate. She doesn't know what she's talking about. I don't really care. We that doesn't have matter. Flavors that I mean, we don't she already like. said she doesn't like mac and cheese, so that, I mean, <laughs> I'm, yes, so I'm very, she, I know mac and cheese and no poo from the zoo, so that's what we know. <laughs> I mean, I'll eat mac and cheese if I'm hungry, but yeah. <laughs> if somebody makes it, I eat it. But it's not. Are there, like... are there any dishes from Back Forty West that are your dishes that you feel really attached to, and that I don't know if you talk um, to Peter about it, you might want to bring with you. Well, I don't know if I've talked to Peter about it, but I, I mean, I don't even think it's on the menu over there. Um, the pork nuggets that I've done for uh, since the very beginning of Back Forty opening, because I was the opening chef there as well. Um, and that was like eight years ago. So like that, and I, you know, bought them from Heritage for the longest time, and they were just uh, braised pork cheeks that we pressed. We braised them in beer, pressed them, breaded uh, them, and fried them, and served them with jalapeno jam. And people just love them. So, yeah. I, but I've done over the years like seven different types of variations of it. Of you know, I've added pig's feet, I've added the whole head. Um, so things like that, I'll do. Um, there's one that, you know, the grilled kale salad that I did at Back 40, like, six years ago, seven years ago, you know. But I'm so tired of it, essentially. But everyone goes crazy over it. It's like a grilled kale and Caesar dressing and white anchovies. And I'm like, okay. It's going to taste good no matter what. It's Yeah, it's ta- it's fine. I love the salad at myself, but it's just, like, it's it had its own cult following. Yeah. So those are things that you feel like? Go with Shauna Pacifico. Uh, yeah, I feel like if you Google my name, <laughs> those are like two of the dishes that come up probably yeah. the most. Amazing. What's the one thing that you're most excited about now that you're actually helming your own restaurant? Um, well, I, I'm more, I, I didn't realize this, but I'm really excited to get back in the kitchen, mm-hmm. which I, uh, like I said, I freaked out. I was like, I'm not ready to go back to work. Um, but especially doing the City Grit dinner, it just, you know, it's like riding a bike. You're like, oh. I'm, it's like I'm, I'm comfortable in my skin again. Because um, when you're running around not doing anything with your time, you're just like, what am I doing with my life? And then you figure it out. And you're like, oh, I'm back to it. You know, yeah. um, I'm excited to learn what Brooklyn has. Um, excited and nervous at the same time. Uh, being in Crown Heights of, um, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, opening a restaurant and just being there and figuring it out day by day. Yeah. So since we don't have a name yet, I imagine there's not a website. But what are the streets? Uh, yeah, I can tell you the address. Uh, it's, <laughs> if um, someone wants to help you build out, they can, they can come in and wheel the yeah, sledgehammer or something? Yeah, we're pretty much done being oh, yeah. built nice. out. Now it's just waiting for the rest of the little stuff to fall into place. Um, but um, it's uh, Franklin Avenue, 798A Franklin Avenue. Uh, it's between Eastern Parkway and Lincoln Place, I think. And we can follow you on Twitter. 
Yes, uh, it's my name, Shauna Pacifico. Shauna Pacifico. On Twitter and Instagram. And Facebook. And Facebook, yes. Okay, so we'll stick with that to get all the updates. Yeah, no, I'm sure by next week I'll definitely be announcing it. Um, We have come up with a name, but I just want to make... We've had like seven names. I can tell you the ones we're not going with. Okay. <laughs> my tell fa- them. My favorite one, <laughs> my favorite one, which a lot of people didn't love, was Bones and Tails, um, which like I just loved how weird it was. Bone, bone thugs in harmony. <laughs> <laughs> but Bones and Tails, like Tails, like cocktails, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, Got I it. wanted to have some great oh, yeah, cocktails there. Um, but, pe- you know, some people were like, it's medieval, or it's just gross. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I was really stuck on that one. Um, and then the other one was Boteco, which uh, basically means bodega in Portuguese. But we've moved on from that one. Okay. So now we know what not to look for. <laughs> if you go to one of those two restaurants, it's not Shauna Pacificos. <laughs> well, we can't wait to find out what the name is going to be. Yeah. Well, and we can't wait to come visit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can't wait to have you guys. I'm excited. Yeah. It'll be, it's well, best be fun. of luck, Shauna. Thank you so much for, Thanks for having me. kind of letting us be one of the first. Yeah, one of the first. the news of Slightly Untitled. Slightly, maybe I should call it that. I like that. I like it, too. <laughs> We're going to take a break here on the morning after on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. back here on the morning after last september i was lucky enough to be invited to greece by um wines of north greece and uh i was able to meet um olga and elada of uh, hatsavaritis winery in humanisa which is just north of uh, thessaloniki which is a beautiful beautiful um metropolitan city it, it made me think of paris it made me think of new york but but not. It was, it was hard to describe. Um, and when I went to their, their winery, we had the most insane lunch on their 
their beautiful porch surrounded by just like by lavender and rosemary and and a view of the uh, the vines like i know everyone hate me right now because it was just absolutely amazing and uh and the wine was also perfect and uh, I want to welcome you both to New York and, and to the show. Well, thank you, Jesse. It was so nice having you there. And thank you for your invitation here as well. So uh, I'm so glad you liked it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, everyone should. Everyone should visit North Greece. And, and when I was invited to Greece, I, you know, because I had started focusing on Greek wine at my, at my wine bar, I, I never really thought that I would be going to North Greece. I feel like a lot of people associate... Greek wine at the moment, which I'm, I know it's changing, but at the moment with, with Santorini, with the islands, where the, the tourist location. So l- l- tell me about North Greece. Tell me yeah. about like wine in North Greece and the climate. Well, Santorini is really different from North Greece, of course, mm-hmm. but it has a Sirtiko, which is a wonderful variety, well-known worldwide, mm-hmm. and uh, everything is different about wine there. Well, whereas in uh, northern Greece, things are different. And northern Greece is um, a colder region, and um, the vineyards are like in any other place in the world, whereas in Sadorini, it's much, much different, as you yes. know. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's grown in volcanic soil. The, the vines exactly. are woven into baskets be- to protect from wind and sun. And Yes, it, it, they so look more right. like the rest of the world. in in northern Greece. In our region, we have mostly Xinomavro, which is a variety, a local variety that not many people know. It's a very dynamic, I think, variety, and and you can do many, many things with it, as you must have seen. But apart from that, we culture many others, like uh, international varieties like uh, Gabernet Sauvignon or uh, Sauvignon Blanc, which are different, of course, there. As you know, from because of the terroir of the of the region. So, what else do you know, want to know? We have there are many many small wineries there. We don't have huge wineries because Greece has been making wine for ages, but recently um, this kind of stopped for uh, some centuries as well. So, uh, I think that only the last thirty to forty years we're trying to get back to it and um, make wonderful wine is that is that because in Greece you know everyone's like I've got my own vines I can make my own wine you know Mm. why why do we need to make wine we don't make that much or it's, it's hard to do and we don't make much money doing it Yes, you're right. I don't know why that happened in the in the past, but it's true that when I was little, for example, there were only two or three huge wineries that they they were not making good wine. That's why uh, Regina came up. You know, you must have heard of it. That's yes, which is the, which is uh, wine made with with essentially pine needles. Exactly. Um, they used to use, yeah, it's, uh, the, the taste is really weird, and they used to use really bad wine for it, uh, especially to Greek varieties called Xidomavro and Savatiano, depending on the region. And they used to add that because it covered everything. Nevertheless, it covered the flaws. Yeah, everything. Um, nevertheless, now uh, we're trying to make, not, not in our winery, but in Greece in general, we're trying to make a retina that is worthwhile tasting, but it's much more discreet. It's not. It has nothing to do with that retina I'm talking about. Anyways, in uh, northern Greece, we we have many many small wineries. We come from Rumenisa, which is 
um, a small region. Um, it's like uh, 230 meters high from the sea, and uh, it's um, really wonderful, I think. Xenobra uh, is our favorite uh, <laughs> wine. <laughs> and, um, well, there we have only five wineries, small ones, mm -hmm. and we make Rumenisa, which is Xenomavra and Negoska. And, and that's very different. So Xenomavra is, is like the king grape of, of northern Greece. Mm -hmm. It is, um, it, it essentially means like sour black. Exactly. Right? It means and, exactly um, that. And it's, you know, it, it can be can be a pain in the ass and it has serious tannin and serious acidity a lot of people compare it to um to nebbiolo exactly in northern italy and um it has long aging potential but you specifically in humanisa you blend it with a grape called negosca which you know going throughout northern greece i never saw that anywhere else yeah you see, Negoska is another variety of Xenomarvero, actually, ah. coming from another city called Nausa in northern Greece. Mm -hmm. But because the, the whole region used to be inhabited by Slavs, they used to call Nausa Negus. So Negoska means the, the grapes from Negus, meaning the grapes from Nausa. So this, this variety comes from Nausa, actually, but in Nausa they, they're not using it anymore. But we have it, and it's actually a, a little bit sweeter than Xenomavro. So we blend the two of those, 80% Xenomavro, 20% Negoska, in order to have a, a milder wine. Because if you, if you get Xenomavro for our region by itself, it's going to be really, really hard to drink it, you know. <laughs> it is it has because to age. the the temperature is a little bit warmer than other parts of northern Greece or um it's a bit yeah, it's a little bit warmer and uh and the other thing is that we have um uh, sometimes we have lots of rains. So mm -hmm. um it's very hard, you know, to cultivate the Xenomavro. It's a very difficult um Variety, mm -hmm. so mixing it with somebody with something else that it's a bit easier makes life easier and the wine better. You know, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. that absolutely makes sense. Um, well, there. I mean, as someone who is a wine buyer in New York, I've I've certainly seen a lot of um, of Greek wine coming in, specifically from North Greece. What does that movement feel like in Greece? Mm. Well, it feels great. I mean, especially when. Um, other people are interested in local varieties because, I mean, I don't think it makes any sense to get Cabernet from uh, Greece or Sauvignon Blanc. Of course, it's different than the others that you have tasted, most probably. But, it, I mean, it's much more interesting to taste a variety that is really exquisite and cultivated only there. So um, the truth is that there is... Um, a very high interest in Xenomavro specifically from different countries all over the world and we're so happy about it and also there are some winemakers that go abroad in order to teach other people how to cultivate it in different regions and this way we might see somehow what happens in different terroirs because now I mean for example China uh, yeah really yeah. my no. eyes just went like cartoon <laughs> large really yeah really actually um the son of a very very famous uh, winemaker of greece called butaris Yanis yes. butaris yes who is the mayor of thessaloniki Stelios? as well not stelios the other son of his he, he 
Michalis. Michalis, he lives in China right now and he's uh, cultivating, you know, he's trying to get uh, Xinomavro. Well, I'm <laughs> well glad it's there. A, a Greek doing it. So he knows the grape. I mean, they've been working yeah. with it in Nausa um, for, for years, but wow. The environmental I, conditions. Yeah, I'm afraid of the guarantee. environmental conditions. You never know. Come on. You know, I mean, um, even, for example, if you try Sauvignon Blanc coming from um, New Zealand, it's absolutely different than ours. It's It has nothing to do. You wouldn't recognize the variety. I mean, even if you knew that's the same the same variety. So it could be interesting. Absolutely. You know? No, and one of the, uh, the most interesting wines that I feel like I tasted on my entire trip was your Assyrtico Sauvignon Blanc mm-hmm. blend, um, which I was very surprised to see how many international varieties are planted throughout northern Greece, but I think it's because a lot of people studied in Bordeaux, mm-hmm. which makes sense uh, that you would have Sauvignon Blanc, but tell me about like the aging potential of your Sauvignon Blanc Assyrtico because it was, it was really powerful. Yeah, you know, th- there is this, um, this thing that everybody thinks that... Um, White wines must be drunk immediately. I mean, you cannot age them. They're very hard to age in Greece, I mean, because, you know, you, you know that, uh, for example, Oussardonne, you can age, of course, for years. Now, Acetico is a variety that can be aged, that should be aged. It's not the same as in Sadorini. It's really different, but it can be aged there as well. So when you blend um, another variety with one that can be aged, then you get a wine that you're not going to throw away immediately. I mean, it, it, it changes. In the beginning, you can feel the Sauvignon Blanc, and then as time goes by, Acidico comes up. And I think that um, from what we've seen, the, the, the potential is like three to four years. Um, whereas our other white wine, which is a Blanc de Noir, actually, because we made white wine from Xinomavro as well, mm-hmm. since we have lots of it. <laughs> so we um, we suggest that he can age that one, which is a blend with Roditis for more, for example, for like six to seven years. So it has potential because of the varieties that can be aged. Is there is there anything else that we can expect from Greece in, in the near future when it comes to wine? Um, yeah, hopefully there is, but <laughs> I don't know what, you know. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're making efforts to have, you know, um, organic uh, cultures and very good wine. And um, we're experimenting in different, you know, varieties. Um, and we're trying to find our lost ones because there are some of those as well. And hopefully we're going to get to having a really wonderful and you know exquisite wine of course the quantities are never going to be big enough for mm-hmm. but i think it's worthwhile tasting and visiting you know that's that's even better <laughs> well i think it's very exciting that oh, such a an old winemaking culture is now like kind of revisiting itself and mm-hmm. getting back to its roots yeah i mean i i personally don't really know much about greek wine and this is obviously Jesse's Wheelhouse, but I will say that I have been noticing more and more Greek wines popping up, and what I've tried has been really just different and kind of esoteric, and um, I was wondering where I can find your wines here. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, um, um, in most of the liquor stores in Manhattan, most probably you would find them. Uh, the labels will be Staphylus and Urinum. 
here in... Um, can you spell that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Jesse can help with okay. that one. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank Staphylus, you. There is Staphylus red and white, and that would be S-T-A-P-H-Y-L-O-S. Okay. And it means grape, actually, Staphylos, Staphyli oh. in Greek. Um, and then there is Urinome, which is spelled uh, E-U-R-Y-N-O-M-E. And yeah, also there is yeah. red. And, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I asked. <laughs> it's delicious. And like I said, I was able to sit out and just have all this, you know, they say like Garigue in, in Provence. Well, that felt very much like Kumanisa with these just amazing herbs. And, and I really think it shines through wow. uh, in your wines. Do you have a so, website? Yeah, sure we do. It's uh, Hadzivaritis Winery. Well, You're gonna I'll have to spell, spell that. that. No, that's okay. I mean, we'll we'll find it okay, and we'll, we'll post it, it. And it's, with our you know, show. It's a, yeah, it's with a ch, you know, c h a v a r i t i s winery. Okay, well, we'll we'll get Jesse on that. Okay. <laughs> well, Olga, Elada, Shauna. and Sari. And it's been a fantastic show. Yeah. Um, before we leave, I want to uh, I want to kind of dedicate the show to uh, to my grandfather who passed on uh, last Saturday and with uh, Memorial Day coming up he's a World War II veteran and one of the best eaters and drinkers I've ever met in my entire life so What's Big Bob name, Big Bob well Robert Taylor Kiefer cheers but, uh, to Robert we called him Big Bob cheers I love you Big Bob. Bob this is the morning after on heritageradionetwork.org <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thank you.